All right, welcome, welcome everybody to the debut episode of the final, final podcast here. Long time coming on this as I've been waiting for the right time to start this podcast. Carter Thompson here, the host of the final, final podcast. If the name sounds familiar, I originally hosted the final, final radio show in Madison, Wisconsin as a part of the school's radio station, WSUM. If you go to my homepage on my website, thefinalfinalofficial.com, you can click on a link that will take you to WSUM's website where you can learn more about that there. I hosted the Final Final Radio Show there for two years with my co-hosts. I had two different co-hosts. It was on every Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time, but now the podcast version of the Final Final, I hope to be doing a couple episodes a week, maybe two, and, and hopefully one will be on Thursdays as well. Try to keep that the same. Um, that's the plan with this podcast going forward. I'm, I'm really excited for it. Topical sports discussion that I'll have, personal stories of my own that coincide with Daily Sports Matter, and anything popular and newsworthy that I feel like discussing is what I plan for this podcast. It's kind of just an extension of the radio show that I did in Madison, so hopefully that goes uh, well. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get started then. First thing that I want to do is talk about life after graduating from, from Madison, Wisconsin, and the end of the radio show, the final final, to now the beginning of the podcast, the final final. So I'll go ahead and get started with that, where after I graduated from Madison, I moved to Los Angeles as I got a job with NFL Network as a production assistant and highlights producer last July, and I've been out here ever since. And I'll tell you what, working for the NFL Network has been has been more than what I expected it to be, actually, in a good way. I went into it not really knowing what the role of a production assistant is. I didn't think it was the running coffee kind of assistant kind of deal and, and grabbing notes, but it's definitely... Uh, was not sure what I was getting into, but it all worked out perfectly, no doubt. I'll try to describe what it, what it kind of did at the NFL for the two separate roles, the highlight producer and the production assistant. So there's, the, there's a Monday to Friday kind of position where that's mostly the production assistant role, where you work with an editor each day, create content for the daily shows that run on NFL Network, such as NFL Total Access, their primetime show, NFL Now, their morning, early afternoon show. And then the fantasy show as well. Occasionally some things for, for Good Morning Football too. You can see some of those works that I created with the editors that I work with on my website under the NFL Network production examples. So music videos are a popular thing that we do. If there's a pre-produced interview with a player in the NFL, sometimes we can cut those down, those things we do. Press conference sounds. So I mean, every time Bill Belichick is at the podium, even if he doesn't talk for 15 seconds, we'll try to find the best of his podium uh, press conference, and then that'll go on TV as well. The most basic thing is maybe like the B-roll coverage of a player. So if they're talking about Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, good second half, we can show that while they're talking about it. Or Derrick Henry, his historic run in the playoffs this year, we can show that while they're talking about it as well. That's kind of the stuff that we create for the production assistant role, the Monday through Friday kind of thing. And then on Sundays, I'm responsible for building the highlight of a designated game that airs on NFL Network, Game Day Highlights. That's their their post-game show. And I'll tell you, it can get intense on Sunday, but it is so much fun. So if your game is going down to the wire with these two teams, it goes into overtime, there's a comeback from one of the teams in your game. I mean, what you have to do is you watch, you sit down, you watch the game, you take, obviously, the highlight plays, and you, you create a shot sheet for that. So you write to exactly what you're seeing on the screen, and you piece them together in chronological order or the order that makes sense. Usually it's chronological order of the game. 
and then you go from there. But I mean, you have to create the shot sheet, match it up with every play that is shown, and then get it to the TV host. But I mean, I tell you what, and then it, and then it airs on TV, so you got to fit it in a time constraint. It gets pretty intense, but once it all gets out on air and it gets read and it, it all goes through that, it feels pretty great. That was one of the things that I'm talking about earlier where I did not expect that to be a part of my job description when I first applied for the production assistant at NFL. I had no idea that I would be a part of creating the highlight of the Sunday NFL games. I mean, it, it was pretty cool. I'm sure I'll be talking more about my time at the NFL Network throughout my podcast episodes as well. But as of now, I'm hoping to move on to NFL topics such as the Combine and the upcoming NFL Draft. I mean, this is one of my favorite times during the football is this draft process. Of course, I love the playoffs in the regular season too, but this is right up there. I do my own mock drafts blogs, um, and I'll also do a podcast episode of a mock draft the week of the NFL draft, and that is always so much fun to prepare for for me. My roommate actually is in Indianapolis right now for the NFL Combine. He also works at NFL Network. He works in the social media department making online graphics. Those interviews that you're seeing during the NFL Combine with Colleen Wolf and Andrew Hawkins, where they're using the Twitter board or all the touchscreen with Twitter. He's actually, that's why he's in uh, Indianapolis right now. He's been a big part of that. So it's really cool. Um, hopefully maybe he'll be able to uh, join me on here when he returns and talk about his time at the combine, maybe share a few things that he's learned while he was there too. Maybe something that we'll see a little insider information from, from my roommate here. We'll see <laughs> who knows, but uh, anyways, we'll get started here. The combine started this past Monday um, we're in the middle of drills now, day one. Some of the things that I was excited to see and, and learn once the combine is all said and done. I mean, day one yesterday, we had quarterbacks, tight ends, and wide receivers. Obviously, the big players with, with the quarterback situation, Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa, they didn't throw Joe Burrow, deciding not to throw because he had a longer season, he said, uh, at LSU winning the national championship, of course. Tua Tagovailoa with his hip injury. So uh, we didn't see those two, but Instead, we got to see some of the other guys, Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, Jalen Hurts. The question was for these guys, who could kind of separate themselves and be that third quarterback? Everybody is pretty set on Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa being the number one and number two. You can choose who you want in which spot. Most people are putting Joe Burrow at number one because of, they're calling it possibly the greatest season, college football season they've ever seen, 60 touchdowns a Heisman, the national championship as well. Tua Tagovailoa might have been number one, but then that hip injury, of course, might have knocked him back and people might be a little concerned about that. I mean, everything you've been hearing coming out of the combine and all the medicals that he's been going through is that it looks great. But I mean, still, it's still going to be one of those things that is hanging around. But then with those two not throwing, they got a better chance to look at the next tier of guys, Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, which of these guys would kind of separate themselves. So Justin Herbert has been ranked by a lot as the third quarterback in this year's draft. Jordan Love, Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm was that next tier. I'll tell you this. I got to watch the combine yesterday. Justin Herbert really had a good combine workout. I mean, I did not think at 6'6", he was going to be able to, I think he ran a 4.59 in the 40-yard in the dash. I did not think a quarterback that big could move that fast. So that was really impressive from him. You had Jalen Hurts. Also run a four five nine. Justin Herbert ran a four six eight. I'm sorry, did I say four five nine? I meant that for Jalen Hurts. But either way, Herbert still ran an impressive forty yard dash, I thought, in my mind. And then of course Jordan Love, he was impressive in the throwing drills as well. I think Jordan Love 
is one of those guys that has likely moved himself into the first round of quarterbacks going to get drafted this year. And here's why. Teams at the end of the first round that maybe didn't take a quarterback early on, if there's a team, here's a team that I'm thinking of for an example, is the Indianapolis Colts. Maybe they don't want to take Jordan Love with that 13th overall pick. Maybe how it goes is Joe Burrow goes to the Cincinnati Bengals at one, Tua goes to the Dolphins at five, or if they have to trade up. And then we'll say the Chargers take Justin Herbert at six if they like him better than Jordan Love. Now, the Colts don't want to take necessarily Jordan Love at 13. Maybe they think that's a little bit too high to take him there. Maybe they want to take a wide receiver at that spot, defensive lineman. Who knows? But maybe they don't want to reach for Jordan Love there. What they can do is they'll trade back into the first round, maybe around the 26 to 32 range. And that way they can get Jordan Love with a first round pick. They have the 34th overall pick. So that's a really great second round pick that they can use to get back into the first round. They can get back into the first round, take Jordan Love, and then they'll have that fifth year option on him for rookie quarterbacks. I mean, that's that's a really big incentive for teams to draft quarterbacks in the first round. And an incentive on first round players is you get that fifth year option so you can have them for longer on that cheaper rookie deal. We saw the fifth year option exercised with Jameis Winston last year. So that's why now he's an unrestricted free agent. We'll see what happens there if they franchise tag him or so what. But that's what I think Jordan Love has put himself in position to be. One of those quarterbacks that gets drafted maybe near the end of the first round so that that team can have that fifth year option on him. Jalen Hurts, one of those guys that really shined yesterday as well with the 40. Like I said, he had the 4.59, Justin Herbert with the 4.68, but Hurts was also impressive in the throwing drills as well. I mean, showing that he's worked on his progression. He's worked on his dropbacks. He's worked on his footwork as well. I mean, they're talking about possibly a late second round pick on him. I'm thinking more probably of a third rounder. I mean, who knows, but he was, I mean, he's a winner. I mean, he won at both Alabama and Oklahoma. He's an athlete. And that's what a lot of guys are looking at this year. I mean, they don't necessarily have to be the prototypical type quarterback anymore. I mean, a lot of guys want the mobility of a quarterback these days. So Hertz will be an attractive looking quarterback to some teams, I'm sure. And I think the order of the quarterbacks most likely goes like this now. Burrow at one, Tua at two, and then it's, I don't know if it's a coin flip, but if it's at three, it's between Herbert and Love right now. And then Jacob Eason at five, most likely. Jake Fromm at six, and then Jalen Hurts at seven. But it'll be interesting to see which teams look at quarterbacks, which teams end up taking quarterbacks, and and where they get taken. Now, the big highlight of last night Day one of the NFL Combine was probably the wide receivers. I mean, there are so many good wide receivers in this class. The funny thing that I keep hearing about all these wide receivers is you hear all the draft experts and all these teams say, oh, yeah, he's got a low first-round grade, maybe a high second-round grade. All of a sudden, you think they've got 15 guys with a low first-round grade. Some of these guys are going to fall to the bottom of the second round, maybe early third round. But, I mean, the, the big takeaway is Henry Ruggs, didn't break John Ross's record of 4-2-2 in the 40, but he got 4-2-7 officially, and I guess he was disappointed with that. So, I mean, man, does he look fast? I mean, he had a 42-inch vertical, I believe, as well. So not just fast, but, I mean, he's explosive as well. So, I mean, Henry Ruggs had a really nice uh, combine. You got Justin Jefferson, who I thought really answered a lot of the questions that people were concerned about him. He's still got that first-round grade. People were starting to knock him a little bit because they were worried about his speed. I think he ran in the 4-4-4 range, I believe, 
for his 40-yard dash. So, I mean, I think he answered questions there about that. No problems anymore when it comes to, yeah, so he ran 4-4-3, actually. So, I mean, he really impressed a lot of people with his speed as well. CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, still neck and neck for who that number one receiver is in this class. Those guys didn't disappoint. I mean, you saw, if you haven't, make sure you go look and find CeeDee Lamb's catch. They were doing the the end zone drill, I believe, where it's a loft to the back. And I mean, wow, you can just see the explosiveness in the hands there as he comes down inbounds to, I mean, he, he had an impressive day working out as well. Jalen Rieger, one of the, the wide receiver from TCU, might have disappointed some teams actually a little bit with his 40 time. I think he ran a 4-4-7 or maybe closer to 4-5 too. But I mean, teams were thinking that he was going to be another one of those guys that could get under 4-3 and to be up above 4-4, be on the higher end of 4-4 could have disappointed. So I mean, I don't know how much, I mean, the 40-yard dash isn't a huge indicator for these guys. It's just nice to see top end speed if that's what they're looking for here. Denzel Mims, another guy that people keep saying, and you'll just keep hearing it. Yeah, he might have a first round grade on this guy now, but there's only 32 picks in the first round. We got to remember, not everyone's going to be looking for a wide receiver, but still he is going to be rising fast. I looked at some of his workout. He had, he ran in the four fours, I believe as well, or maybe he was no, here we go. Yeah, Denzel Mims ran 4.38. So he was one of those guys, top three, actually, in the 40-yard dash this year for wide receivers. His three-cone drill, I thought this was really impressive for him right now. He ran a 6.66. The next closest guy for wide receivers in the three-cone drill was 6.94. I mean, three-tenths of a second slower than Denzel Mims. That's how close. That's how far away he separated himself in that drill there. I mean, he had a great vertical jump as well. Denzel Mims is a guy that you're going to start seeing in these mock drafts if they go farther than than one-round mock drafts, that he'll be in the high second rounds. You might see him mocked in the first round, but again, there's so many wide receivers. You look at people's top five wide receivers, I think the top three are, are pretty set. and um, Everybody agrees that the top three doesn't, not necessarily order, but of CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs. And then from there, who knows? I mean, I haven't even mentioned the guy from Colorado, LaVisca Chenault. I mean, he he didn't necessarily have the best combine workout. Not, not everybody was expecting blazing speed from him. I mean, he's 225 pounds at the wide receiver position. So, I mean, he's not necessarily going to be the burner of the class like Henry Ruggs, who weighs maybe around 190. But still, he's in people's top fives. You got T. Higgins. He wasn't able to work out after his long season, so he'll be at his pro day. I mean, there's just so many wide receivers still that people, I mean, Michael Pittman Jr. is a guy that people have in their top 10. Like I said, Jalen Rieger, another guy that didn't get to work out was the guy from Penn State, KJ Hamler. A lot of people really like him as well. I mean, there's just so many wide receivers in this class this year. It's it's going to be fun to watch and see where some of these guys, some of them are going to fall. Another guy too that had a really good uh, combine workout was Chase Claypool, the Notre Dame wide receiver. I mean, a lot of people are talking about Notre Dame in terms of their tight end, Cole Komet, but Chase Claypool ran a 4.42, and I think he's around 6.4, 220 pounds as well. And I mean, that's just a blazing speed for a guy like that. So he's another one of them risers after his workout yesterday. These wide receivers are just going to be a lot of fun, and there's so many teams that need them too. I mean, you talk about it. The teams that could use one, the Jets could use one. The Arizona Cardinals could use one at eight. Not necessarily sure if they'll take one there. 
Buffalo Bills, they could use one. I mean, John Brown had a nice year, but he's going to need some help, I'm sure. New England Patriots probably could use one. I mean, who knows if they could go tight end or wide receiver. I mean, there's so many teams that could use a wide receiver that it's it's crazy. The Indianapolis Colts could look at a wide receiver. I mean, T.Y. Hilton is always injured in that sense. Denver Broncos are a team. Green Bay Packers are certainly a team that everybody keeps talking about that could use a wide receiver. The Las Vegas Raiders now. So many teams, and it's just, you're not sure how, the Philadelphia Eagles, I almost forgot, how do you forget about them? Who knows what they're down to at at wide receiver at this point? Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson could be free agents or or cut at this point. And it's just going to be interesting to see where these wide receivers end up going. I mean, you look at the top 10 for, for, I mean, Daniel Jeremiah has, I think, eight wide receivers in his top 50 rankings. Mel Kuyper's got, I think, four or five in his top 25 rankings. It's just amazing, all these wide receivers, and some of them are going to fall to the late second round, so that'll be really interesting, and a lot of great workouts yesterday. Henry Ruggs, uh, Justin Jefferson were the two guys for me, and Denzel Mims, I think, is a really interesting prospect, and, and we'll see how where he goes in this draft, but that'll be really interesting to see this draft process. These, still guys, these guys still have one more workout to impress scouts on their pro days, and so we'll see if anyone can rise and fall from there. But tonight, then, for the NFL Combine, we have offensive linemen, and running backs an offensive line is always an important position to keep an eye on no matter which team it is they can always use offensive line help even if it's a strength on their roster I mean you can have injuries but there's a lot of teams like the Jets again could use an offensive lineman the Cardinals the Giants and and I just mentioned some of these teams that could use wide receivers too and that's what I'm talking about how these wide receivers could drop in this class because maybe a team like the Cardinals takes a tackle instead of a wide receiver because that's a bigger need to protect Kyler Murray in a sense like that. I mean, the Browns definitely could use an offensive lineman. And I mean, I think it's pretty set on the top five tackles in this draft. There's Makai Becton out of Louisville. There's Jaderic Willis out of Alabama, Josh Jones from Houston, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, and Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. Those are probably your top five tackles. I'm sure all could go in the first round. You could take the Browns for taking one, possibly the Giants taking one at number four to protect Daniel Jones. I mean, you could have the Jets taking one to protect Sam Darnold. The Broncos could take one. I mean, see, there's a lot of overlap here with teams that could use a wide receiver and an offensive tackle, and it just depends on what they value more here. After those top five tackles, though, it kind of drops off a little bit into the next tier. So teams will be clamoring for these top five guys, and we'll have to see in the combine workouts today and, and how their interviews go who kind of separates themselves from there. I mean, and then the running backs also running today. You've got DeAndre Swift out of Georgia, Jonathan Taylor, uh, my former classmate at Wisconsin, big fan of his, of course. (laughs) Um, You got J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State, Cam Akers out of Florida State. And I tell you, if I could talk about Jonathan Taylor for a quick second, not to show any bias or anything, of course. But, I mean, he's going to surprise some people with, I think, his 40s. He thinks he's one of those guys that can run under a 4-4 in the 40. And if he does that with his size and his production in college at Wisconsin, he's going to raise some eyebrows and possibly get himself into the first round. I think he's for sure at least in the second round right now, but he can work his way into the first round. I mean, there's some mock drafts where you see him in the first round already, but he could solidify himself as a first-round back. He's got... Some question marks, of course, with the fumbling that he had at Wisconsin. And he wasn't necessarily a huge part of the pass catching 
scheme at Wisconsin, but that's just Wisconsin football right there because they run the football and they gave it to Jonathan Taylor close to 900 times in his three years. But if he runs what how fast he wants to run under 4-4, that is going to be amazing at his size and his production in college, and I think he'll be able to solidify himself in the first round. So that'll be really exciting to watch tonight as well. And then you've got defense of players coming on this weekend for their combines, and then I think the combine wraps up either Sunday or Monday, and then uh, we'll see from there where teams start to go, and then you'll start to see mock drafts coming after the combine, so that's always fun to see as well. All right, so let me transition to this then. So this past Monday was Kobe Bryant and Gianna Bryant Day, or their memorial. So I thought this would uh, this would be a good time for me to talk about his, uh, his passing in the helicopter accident that happened back in January. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I, I moved out here to Los Angeles from Wisconsin. And I can tell you, I was never really like the biggest Kobe Bryant basketball fan. I don't know why, really. I think I just became more of a LeBron James fan. It's, it's not like I had Kobe Bryant hate or anything. I just was more of a fan of LeBron and wanted to see him win when I was younger. But I started becoming a big fan of the NBA when Kobe Bryant won his two NBA championships in 2009 and 2010. So I remember the, the 2008 championship when I was probably around like 11 or 12 years old. The Celtics had formed their big three of Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce. And they made it to the NBA championship against the Los Angeles Lakers. They ended up beating the Lakers in six games. And then the next year, Kobe and the Lakers won it against the Celtics. And you can just see all the emotion that he expressed winning that following year. Just the relief that he must have felt. Because a lot of people were talking about, well, Kobe Bryant hasn't won an NBA championship finals MVP his first three NBA championships were all NBA MVP or finals MVP was Shaq. So, I mean, just the the relief that he must have felt there. I mean, those were some of my oldest memories of becoming an NBA fan. So that's that was just really cool when I, when I thought about that. And then, of course, his injuries as he started to get older. But the 60-point final game is a big thing that I remember about Kobe Bryant in terms of basketball as well. I remember watching that game in my college dorm as a freshman at Madison my roommate and I had a huge TV for, for dorm purposes, at least. I can't remember how big it was, but we were watching that final game. It was my roommate, myself, and maybe five or six of our other dorm friends as they came into our dorm room because we had the big TV, of course. And it was just incredible to watch. I mean, they have those stupid quiet hour rules, you know, in dorms. And uh, the dorm RA actually came by our room to ask us to keep it down. I didn't think we were being that loud, first of all. But then we tried to explain to him, it's like, hey, this is Kobe Bryant's final game, Staples Center, and he's going off for 50-plus points right now. And I'm, I'm, we're trying to keep it cool. But, I mean, they, they actually almost wrote us up a warning. I'm like, you got to be kidding me right now. But anyways, that's, that's something for a different time. But that was just one of the coolest things that I witnessed as a basketball fan. He says this is his final year, and just to go out like that, I mean, you didn't have to be a Kobe Bryant basketball fan to just be a fan of what you were watching at that point. The story about that was was all awesome. And I mean, then you, you go to go on to what he was doing, accomplishing after basketball. That was just amazing as well. I mean, he was still in the spotlight and he just he wasn't done. Like, I'm not saying these NBA players when they're when they're done playing that they're just done. I mean, you see a lot of them go on to be great analysts and such like that on ESPN or something like that. But Kobe Bryant was kind of taking a different path that you hadn't really seen. It's unreal. And then now living out here in L.A., 
coming from Wisconsin, I'm just seeing everywhere that the impact that he had. I mean, you see some of the murals and and this and that, but it's it's truly everywhere. I mean, all these buses that I pass when I'm when I'm driving to work out or, or to go to work or something like that, it says on every one of them, R.I.P. Kobe and Gianna too. You see the numbers two, twenty four, eight, literally on around every corner. They're not exaggerating when they say that. It's it's just amazing that the impact that he had and just what a special person he was to Los Angeles. But the other thing too about Kobe was listening to all these stories and reading all these personal stories that people were sharing since his passing. All these articles that you can read, the in-depth things that you were able to learn from people that had these personal relationships with him. It was just amazing. I mean, I had no idea how much an effect that he had on everybody else. If you got to watch his memorial this past Monday, you saw a lot of WNBA players, the two that spoke, or I'm sorry, just the one, Diana Taurasi, who spoke, but then the college, the woman college player from from Oregon spoke too. I mean, just the impact that he had was is just so amazing. And then Gino Oriema, the UConn women's team coach, I mean, he talks about his daughter a lot, Gianna as well. It was just incredible to learn all these stories. I mean, you hear the one, I like the one Michael Wilbon tells about Kobe Bryant speaking to a reporter that speaks another language. And he does it fluidly. I mean, none of this I, I knew. I mean, I didn't have the personal relationship, of course. But man, just a testament to who he was. And it's really cool to learn all these things. I think his passing is is going to go down as one of those days that everyone kind of really remembers where they were when they found out about the news. Because it's just so bizarre, the timing of it. Because the night before, LeBron James passed him for third on the all-time scoring list. And so he was just relevant in the news. People were talking about it. They're saying how Kobe texted LeBron before the game and after the game. And LeBron talks about how he was texting with Kobe Bryant after the game as well. It's just so weird that the next day that this happened, because my brother then, he texts me that, that next morning and he goes, hey, did, did Kobe Bryant actually die? I'm like, what? No, are you, are you insane? He didn't die. He just, I'm like thinking that he must have read something of, of the, because you, you know the debate of Kobe and LeBron, who's better that a lot of the big reason is Kobe was considered the scorer. So I'm thinking, no, LeBron just passed him in scoring. He's not dead. But I'm thinking maybe he read something about like the debate is dead or something like that. But then I, I go on my social media and I turn on the TV and I'm like, I text back, I'm like, hold on a second, let me let me see this. He's like, yeah. I'm like, is this real what I'm watching right now? And I just couldn't believe it. I was, I was home in the middle of the day. I had to work the night shift at, at NFL Network that night. And it was just crazy to me. I mean, it blew my mind. I had I didn't believe it was real at first. And then you hear people saying, well, don't report false rumors in that. I'm like, this can't be happening. You just expect Kobe to, to report on social media. It's like, no, guys, it wasn't me in the helicopter or something like that. But man, I just remember a lot about that day. And then that night when I was working at NFL Network, even for like NFL Network, it's all about NFL. They don't report about usually any other sports, but even the news updates overnight were all about Kobe Bryant. It was just it was just crazy to me. And I mean it was just such a shame. I mean just a huge NBA legend and icon. And not just on the court, but off the court too. So I'm glad I was I was able to kind of talk about this on my podcast here, but it's just amazing to me how that all went down. So I'll transition into this now. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the NBA and the standings at this point. 
And then, of course, the big news that came out today with Rachel Nichols' interview with James Harden. So I'll talk about the James Harden-Giannis beef now, which is actually getting kind of interesting. But I'll first, I'll start with the NBA standings at this point. So we're about almost 60 games into the regular season, so about 20, 25 more games for each team. So we've got Milwaukee at the number one seed in the East. 50 wins now at this point, only eight losses. They have an eight-game lead over second-place Toronto, so they're just cruising right now. And then in third, you got Boston. Fourth, you got Miami, tied with Philadelphia. So then sixth, you got the Pacers. Seventh, Brooklyn. And eighth, Orlando. And Orlando has a four-and-a-half game lead over Washington for that final spot in the Eastern Conference standing. So, I mean, of course, there's still 25 games. One of those teams outside the East could still make it. But it kind of looks to me that the Eastern Conference is kind of set with how the playoffs are going to be with those top eight teams. There's still going to be some shuffling. I mean, Boston could work its way up into that number two seed. Philly, Miami, and Indiana could all shuffle between that four and six seed. And then you got Brooklyn and Orlando for that seven and eight spot. That could flip-flop right there. But other than that, I think those are going to be your eight teams in the Eastern Conference for the playoffs. And I'll tell you, the matchup that I really want to see for the first round of the playoffs would be Miami-Philadelphia. I think that would be an awesome first-round matchup. It doesn't matter who's the four-seed or the five-seed. One of those teams is going to get home-court advantage. But the reason Miami has really impressed this year, the addition of Jimmy Butler. But then if you get Jimmy Butler versus Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons in the first round, just the trash talk and the mind games that I think Jimmy Butler would be playing with Embiid and Simmons. He would. You, you hear all this talk about can Embiid and Simmons fit together long term right now both of them are injured so who knows at that point but you know Jimmy Butler would be bringing that up I mean after the game I'm sure they'd be fine but during the series Jimmy Butler would be hounding those two I think and I think that would just be a terrific first round matchup in the Eastern Conference I mean Indiana is another one of those teams that for that sixth seed they could give whoever the third seed is if they end up in that sixth seed they could give whoever's in that third seed some fits not necessarily a I don't think they would win that that series, but they could take a game from whoever that third seed is, maybe the maybe two games as well. But think of this, if Philadelphia right now without Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, if they fall to that 6 seed, they only have a game and a half lead over Indiana right now, who's getting Oladipo back. DeMontis Sabonis was an all-star this year, Malcolm Brogdon still playing really well. If they fall to that 6 seed Philadelphia, they'd either have to face Boston or Toronto. And then they would for surely, most likely, lose in the first round. And then all hell could break loose for Philadelphia as it could all start falling apart from there. Now for a team that could challenge Milwaukee, right now they look really strong. I mean, we just saw the game where they beat Toronto up in Toronto. I mean, at one point they were down maybe not close to double digits. I mean, not quite double digits, but they were close to double digits in deficit. Able to come back and still win that game. I think close to 10 points. I mean, Milwaukee is just cruising right now. Giannis starts hitting some more outside shots. Brooke Lopez even hasn't had hasn't been hitting his three-pointers this year, so if he gets back on a roll, Milwaukee just looks super dangerous and just a clear favorite coming out of the East right now. Um, little humble brag for, for a Wisconsin fan right now, but that is they look really tough, and, and Giannis looks well on his way to winning his second straight MVP. But if you go to the West now, this gets a little bit more interesting, of course, as people talk about it. You got the Lakers at the one seed, Denver at the two seed. They're five and a half games back of Los Angeles as they just beat 
Golden State last night without LeBron James. You got the Clippers at the three seed. They're six and a half back of the Lakers. And then you got the Rockets, the Thunder, the Utah Jazz, the Mavericks. Those are your top seven. Those are all probably pretty clearly going to stay in for the playoffs. And then it's that eight seed that people are going to be vying for. That's right now the Memphis Grizzlies. They hold a three-game lead over both the Portland Trailblazers and the New Orleans Pelicans. Portland right now playing without Damian Lillard. If they can get him back sooner rather than later, then I think they have a chance of still getting into the playoffs. New Orleans has been playing really well of late too. I mean, Zion's been into the starting lineup 6-4 and four in their last 10 games, but still Zion averaging over 20 points since he's been able to come back from his beginning of the season injury and surgery. But I mean, a first-round matchup that looks really exciting to me would be if Dallas could get into that six seed. I'd love to see the Clippers versus the Mavericks in the first round. You get Luka Doncic versus Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, one of the rising stars. I mean, he was a starter in the All-Star game this year against the reigning NBA Finals MVP. In that sense, I mean, Kristaps Porzingis has been playing well this year too, been able to avoid a major injury. That would be a really interesting first-round matchup for me at this point. The top seven, I think, like I said, are locked in. But now we just have to see how the seeding goes because, I mean, there's only two games that separate the second seed from the fourth seed. So it'll be really interesting to see how all the seeding works its way out through these final 20-25 games in both conferences. I mean, right now the Lakers and the Bucks have comfortable leads for that number one spot, but we'll have to see how the rest of it goes from there. All right, let me transition to the beef that I wanted to talk about between James Harden and Giannis Antetokounmpo. So, I mean, this started, I mean, probably last year when Giannis won his first MVP, when James Harden thought that he deserved the MVP, averaging over 30-plus points. This year, again, he's averaging 35, um, and he's still not even considered a top-five MVP contender, which, first of all, I think is crazy when he's averaging... 35 points and and leading his team to a top four seed in his conference, possibly a top three seed. I think he should be in the top five, but nonetheless, he threw some shade at Giannis last year, which led to Giannis throwing shade this year in the NBA all-star game during the draft between him and LeBron, when it was between Giannis picking James Harden or Kemba Walker for his final all-star starter. And he decided to go with Kemba Walker as he goes, I want someone that's going to pass. So then in a recent interview that James Harden did with Rachel Nichols, he said, I don't get the joke there. I mean, I average more assists than both of them or something like that. And then later in his interview, he says, quote, I wish I could just run, be seven feet and run and just dunk like that takes no skill at all. I got to actually learn how to play basketball and how to have skill, end quote. And that was a big shot fired, I thought, right there. But I thought that was kind of an unfair jab from James Harden as he said that because, come on, James, really? You think Giannis has to have has no skill just being seven foot running and dunking? I mean, he averaged six points, I believe, his rookie year, and now he's averaging 30 points, close to 13, 14 rebounds a game. He's also averaging near six assists. The, the no skill thing, when you're in the NBA, when people say you have no skill, now it's just coming off as a little petty at this point. I mean, to me, that that seems like he took it a step too far, saying a seven-footer has no skill who just won an MVP as well. I mean, it seems a, seems a little uh, not childish, but 
definitely petty at this point from from James Harden. Um, but we'll, we're going to have to see how that goes. Everybody's pointing out, I think there's a March 25th game between these two teams. That's going to be a primetime game on ESPN. So a lot of people are having fun getting ready for that game. But this is a legit beef that these two got going on here as it went back to last year when Giannis won his MVP. James Harden throwing shade then. Giannis throwing a little shade back at James, not taking him in the all-star draft. And now James just straight out coming in, James Harden coming out and saying this, that it takes no skill to be a seven-footer and just dunking. I don't know how Giannis, if he's going to respond. I mean, you hear them say all the time, no, I don't go on social media and such like that. But this will be a really interesting game come March 25th for sure. All right. Well, that is all the time I have on this first podcast episode of The Final Final. I hope you enjoyed it. You'll be able to listen on my website, thefinalfinalofficial.com, and hopefully on a few more services coming up pretty soon. But thanks for tuning in. Make sure to tune in on my next episode as well. I'll be talking more about the NFL Combine, maybe more about the NBA playoffs coming up, and as well as MLB opening day coming up. And we'll talk about that Houston Astros fiasco as well. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed. Please go to thefinalfinalofficial.com. Leave any comments that you'd like. You can find my Twitter there, and you can follow me as well. But thefinalfinalofficial.com is the place to go for all of this, so make sure you go there. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed, and that is the final final.